Football's right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. Now, if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Nothing quite adds to the excitement of watching a game like having a free shot at a million dollar top prize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horwat here on Season 2, Episode 78. We're getting close to Season 3, so the great reset of going back to Season 3, Episode 1, is in the near future, of course, because we are officially in September, which means, Horwat, there's going to be training camp hockey talk to have in this calendar month, I'm excited because this is the slow season of the NHL offseason, and we are just dragging along until we can hopefully start to get a little bit more NHL news. Horwat, how excited are you that we're finally in September? It's nice. I can start wearing hoodies again and be nor- and look normal. Uh, I can turn the AC off in this damn apartment. I'm looking forward to the <laughs> non-hockey things of fall coming up, but of course the hockey is great because... I mean, we don't know any information on training camps or rookie camps or anything like that yet for the Penguins, at least. But, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm assuming, maybe, quite possibly, because Cranberry is technically in Butler County, and I don't know if counties are doing anything differently around here, but there might be people allowed for a training camp and stuff like that. Um, There hasn't been for the Steelers, but, well, there has been, actually, at Heinz Field, because there was the big hullabaloo that they couldn't take video. But, uh, yeah, no, exciting to be back at a camp like that. I haven't been to one since Daniel Sprong was a rookie. So I'm looking forward to going back to camp, seeing possibly um, guys like uh, Nathan Lagare, Sam Poole, and P.O. Joseph in person. Because I didn't see yeah, I never saw P.O. Joseph in person, actually, because he wasn't, he wasn't on the team when people were allowed back. So seeing P.O.J. will be fun, you know, and seeing the other – rookies in person or not rookies but seeing the other prospects in person for the first time should be interesting so hopefully i'll have time to do that i have a busy september ahead of me that's kind of why i'm looking forward (laughs) to a lot of the uh um non-hockey things put it this way in the month of september for those of you that want to know how much i work i have two days off all month right now two (laughs) you're like the new york yankees who only have one day off yeah it's every day and a lot of the days are two of my three jobs so I'll probably be requesting days off in the near future just to get some rest. (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody needs a little bit of rest. And luckily for the Penguins, their special teams have gotten some rest because one of them is going to need a great reset. One of them just needs to pick up where they left off. And that's going to be our main topic of discussion today is the Pittsburgh Penguins special teams and where they were at last season. And specifically, which is more important for the Penguins this season? Continued power play success or rebuilding a better penalty kill? That's that's the big question there. Horwat, what do you think is more important for the Penguins? Uh, more important, I would have to say, it's hard to say um, power, 
it's hard to say penalty kill might be more important because power play is the one that you know scores you the goals it gets you the points that you need to win games but um i have last year's uh percentages up our power play was 23.68 which i think turned around to be a little bit higher in the league toward the end of the season last year right they finished or, fourth. Oh, word? okay because um, they were well above league average, which is 19.78 from last season. So um, things don't seem to be too bad there, but I think it caught some improvements when Jared McCann was placed into a better position. Jeff Carter came around. Uh, but our penalty kill was below average. I mean, 77.42% yeah. of the Penguins for a league average of 80.22. So, I mean, they were also fourth. But they were fourth from the bottom. Yeah, the and it's, <laughs> it's it's weird that the penalty kill didn't do as good because you look at some of the you know, defensive defensive minded forwards that were on there. It's it was Bluger, it was Tanev, it was Zach Aston Reese. I mean, those three, two of them at least, for sure. Um, Corsi gods when it comes to the comes to the defensive side of the puck and seeing this whole percentage hurts and I guess the injuries took into effect there. Um, so I would have to mm-hmm. say the bigger focus for the Penguins this upcoming season is going to be the improvement of the penalty kill because the power play, I mean, again, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, those four alone, I get Malkin won't be there, but those four alone, that's pretty that's pretty stealthy. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Jeff Carter in the wings to be a set, to be the second-line guy. Latang on the point. Um we got guys that can score goals. That's not that big of an issue. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. consistency there. That's the big problem for yeah. them. But for the penalty kill, you want to see it improved. And it's going to be the focus because there's new faces that are taking it over mm-hmm. this year too. Yeah, when it comes to the Pittsburgh Penguins power play, with names like you mentioned, a Crosby, a Latang, a Malkin, a Gensel, even when they're not having a great season, you feel like they're going to balance out and finish at least in the top 15, pretty much guaranteed, sometimes in the top 10 last year. Like you said, you thought they got better towards the end of the season, and they finished fourth. That is that is really good. But when it comes to the Penguins' penalty kill, yeah, it, it's a little bit more sketchy because you don't have those great defensive forwards. I mean, you have guys that are pretty good at 5-on-5 five five in the defensive zone, like Bluger, like Zach Aston Reese, but also you look at your defense – and that's going to be an issue going into the next season. Who is going to play on the penalty kill on the back end? Obviously, Chris Letang and Brian Dumlin are your everyday, everything defensemen. So they play power play, penalty kill, five on five. But they're also getting older. So let's try to, I mean, you would hope that Mike Volucci tries to give them some blows and tries to limit their ice time. But that's just the story of Chris Letang's career. They never have limited his ice time. They probably won't limit his ice time. And the only other defenseman on the lineup now that had any substantial penalty kill time last season is John Marino. Because Cody Ceci ate up a lot of penalty kill minutes last year. Those are minutes you're going to have to replace. And as we have talked a lot about over the entirety of the offseason, the Pittsburgh Penguins didn't bring in any defensemen this offseason. So it's either Mark Friedman, if he gets in the lineup, might be a penalty kill guy. Chad Ruedel has killed penalties for the Penguins in the past, so if he wins that spot, you can imagine he would. But if you look at the other two guys that are guaranteed to be in the lineup, Marcus Pedersen was sparingly used. He only had about 19 to 25 minutes of penalty kill time throughout the entirety of last season. And then I want to check on Mike Matheson, thinking maybe he got about the same as Pedersen. He finished with four total minutes on the penalty kill in all of last season. So Matheson and Pedersen, according to what Volucci deployed last year, are not options for this team. So you are going to need to find someone to replace those Cody CC minutes. And is that question, or is the answer to that question, going to be Ruedel? Or is it going to be Friedman? Or is it going to be P.O. Joseph if he makes the lineup? There's a lot of questions to me before you even get to the forward yeah. core. Because, yeah, you still have Bluger, you still have Zach and Aston Reese. Who do you put in there? Brandon Tanev's gone. Maybe Brock, Brock I think we brought him in be- to be a good style penalty killer. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think the same went with Danton Heinen. Mm -hmm. Um, So those guys were brought in and because they can also kill penalties and play the defensive side of the game. So they should be useful in that sense. But 
yeah. again, you're mentioning these four or these defensemen. Uh, you're right because um, you know we look at the defensive lineup now. Uh, yeah, Crystal Tang, Brian Dumont. There's your first line um, penalty kill defense. And then you do really wonder, all right, what's next? Because Matheson's more of the forward, um, more of the offensive defenseman. Mm-hmm. I mean, him and John Marino, I think, were the second pairing defensive unit for the um, power play. Correct. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. They're correct. the they're the they're the offensive ones, and the way the Penguins have balanced over the last few years is that you didn't really cross paths. If you were a penalty killer, you you didn't. Uh, you weren't on the man advantage up. You weren't on the power play. And then if you were on the power play, you didn't kill penalties. That's kind of the way things balanced, whereas this year it might be a little different. There might be a little bit more intersection between penalty killers and uh, power play scores. So at least forward-wise, defensive-wise, I mean, yeah, really, who comes next? I think Chad Rui would be okay, but again, he's got to make the lineup. John Marino could be okay, but he's got to bounce back. And, you know, like we mentioned, the first two, solid, set in stone. We're good. The second two is where the question marks begin. And that's kind of how mm-hmm. it's always gone with the Penguins special teams on both sides. Yeah, and there's still question marks as far as the forwards as well. You mentioned the uh, Brock McGinn possibly could be stepping in there and taking on penalty kill responsibilities. I think a guy that could be a half-decent penalty killer, I'm not exactly sure, but... Seeing the way he forechecks, seeing the way he backchecks, seeing the way he is without the puck on the ice, and as the, seeing as he's a guy that needs to find other things to make him endeared to this team and to make an impact in these games. Jason Zucker only played 1.6 minutes on the penalty Forgot kill Forgot about last him <laughs> entirely. So give him an opportunity on the penalty kill. I know that what we need from him is not to eat up penalty kill minutes. We need him to be a scorer. But if he can make an impact such as being on the penalty kill, listen, this guy is going to be a second power play unit guy. So he's not going to get too many power play minutes. He might get a couple. Let him play on the penalty kill. Let, let him try it a little bit. I don't, I don't see why that wouldn't be an issue, especially considering the way that he played last season without the puck. Because you can say what you want about Zucker, but he played pretty well without the puck. He's pretty good on the forecheck. He's pretty good on the back check. In his own zone... It might not translate quite as much, but I think there's an opportunity there, especially with his foot speed and his skating ability, to try something with him. And with all of these questions, I still say it's more important for the Penguins to have power play success. <laughs> I, I do think, because of the simple reason is this lineup itself is not as deep as it was last season. I think the scoring is an unknown when it comes to this team especially the depth scoring. We don't know if Danton Heinen is going to come in and revert to his form from Boston. We don't know if Brock McGinn is going to come in and continue to be a 10 to 15 goal guy. We don't know if it was a fluke last year seeing Zach Aston Reese put up nine goals. We, we don't know if the added offense from Teddy Bluger was a fluke or if that's the new normal. We have so many question marks as to where these secondary goals and secondary scoring is coming from that we need the power play to be able to take advantage when we get the opportunities. And I understand, finishing fourth, there's not a lot to change. But you also have Evgeny Malkin, who's going to be missing who knows how long. We still have no news updating that. So you have Crosby, that'll definitely be on that unit. You have Latang, you have Gensel, definitely on that unit. Who are the last two spots? I don't know. Is Brian Rust on there? There's a good opportunity for him. Is Kasperi Kapanen on that unit? Possibly. Is John Marino thrown up there and we go with two defensemen? I'm not sure. Maybe even Brock McGinn is the first unit net front presence guy. There's a lot of options for the Penguins, but the point being, they finished fourth last season. They're going to need an equal or possibly greater value from their power play to make sure, at least until we know, whether or not we're going to get secondary scoring. When you look down the lineup right now, subtracting Malkin from it, we really still haven't learned or you know figured out if Evan Rodriguez is going to be in the starting lineup, if Sam, or if it's going to be Sam Lafferty or Redeem Zahorna or Dom, Dom Simone even. All four of those names are guys you don't ideally want to utilize on either special teams unit, on either power play or penalty kill. I don't see Sam Lafferty, unless he's, unless, you know, the hockey minds know more than we do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> but, um, hey, you're still muted, by the way. Um, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
you you think of Lafferty, and you're ideally you don't want him on either of those units. Redeem Sahorna, mm-hmm. not necessarily proven to be on either of those units yet. Um, Evan Rodriguez might be a penalty killer. Cool, that's knocked out. What does Dom Simone do in this situation? Are we sticking him on the power play unit two as a puck mover, and then that's it? How do we handle that? What did you say while you were muted, though? Oh, I just said I would hope that the hockey minds are smarter than us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I am going to safely assume they are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those are ideally those are names you don't want to utilize in either situation, but then that leaves you with 10 guys to work with, really. Yeah. You know, maybe 11, but you got to fill those spots, and you need, what, 10 people you know are going to be on your power play, mm-hmm. two lines, and eight that you need to know are going to be on your penalty kill. And you don't want to mix too much, but Latang and Dumoulin are going to probably be on both. Yeah. Especially if I like Dumoulin as a penalty killer on the on the power play in the second, if he can continue that weird eight game point streak or seven game point streak that he had <laughs> last season. Yeah. If he can do that again, sure, stick him on the second unit. Who cares? But another thing too that has always just crushed the Penguins uh, in recent seasons is giving up uh, shorthanded goals. Mm-hmm. So having a defensive element on your power play is just as important which again why i don't mind sticking dublin out on the second unit because hey someone's got to stop the other team from attacking because they do that to us mm. yeah and, and usually the issue is on the power play crystal tang is the only defense out there and he gets stuck and then you have a guy like evgeny malkin who's coming back and trying to play natural defense and uh, evgeny malkin is great with a lot of things but natural defense is not one of them mm-hmm. and i think didn't that happen to Jake Gensel in the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that it's... happened. He got walked pretty easily. Yeah. By, I think it was Beauvillier. Yeah, so it's not what you want to happen. I think we... hockey minds want to galaxy brain the power play too much, and there's always discussions of why don't we put five forwards out there? Well, this exact reason. Mm-hmm. Because the other team will see that, and the second they get possession, they're not going to dump it like – a lot of teams would do if there's a defenseman or two out there mm-hmm. they're going to attack because no one can play defense out there yeah so that's why you should always have at least a defenseman out there or maybe a defensive-minded forward who can backskate mm-hmm. and you know poke check or something <laughs> yeah um because just sticking two forwards on one guy who has the puck that doesn't always help someone's getting walked somewhere these guys are nhl talented players mm-hmm. yeah so and I see where you're coming from with wanting the power play to be the focus here because, get, like I said at the beginning too, they're the ones that score the goals. They're the ones that get the points that you need to win. Mm-hmm. Without a power play, you're useless. Yeah, and it's it's important to me. I, I think the power play needs to be – I mean, they, they need to be right up there in the top ten again. And top five would be preferable. And a lot of people say a lot of things about the Penguins' power play. Oh, it's not producing enough. But I think Todd Reardon did a pretty good job in his first year back at the helm last year. Obviously, getting his team to fourth in the league at 23.7%. You said above league average by about 4%. That's pretty good. And we'll see what he does this year again. Losing Evgeny Malkin is tough, but he proved that he could do that last season whenever he inserted Jared McCann, and it was a success. So we'll see if he has another player waiting in the wings to have that kind of ability and that kind of success as well. But when it comes to the penalty kill, Another reason that it is important, I, I I do still think that the power play, it's more important that they continue to have success because of that lack of scoring when it comes to depth. But the penalty kill, you, you're going to need that to be better too. You cannot finish 27th in the league in the penalty kill. And I know that there's a lot of questions that need to be answered as far as personnel is concerned for Mike Volucci, but I mentioned the Penguins finished fourth in the power play. Two of the teams ahead of them, two of the three teams ahead of them were the Carolina Hurricanes and the Washington Capitals. Ooh. So oh, the Capitals of Fetchkin, yeah. So yeah, two teams that are in your division. So you're gonna need to have a good penalty kill to compete at the top end of this metropolitan division. It's important no matter what. Special teams in hockey has always been important. That's that's not breaking news. But when it comes to this season, you're gonna need to improve that penalty kill. You're gonna need to do both of these. But I think it's most important that you get the power play success, just because you don't know where that scoring is coming from otherwise. Yeah. It- it makes total sense. Also, the the Capitals had nine people score for them on the power play last season. Nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but TJ Yoshi had 13 power play goals. Wow. Ovechkin had nine. 
huh when is it i i i would be interested to see and we don't have the time to go through now how many times in his career ovechkin has been outperformed as far as goals on the power play in a season uh, yeah, if we weren't on recorded right now, now yeah, that's, say that. that's a lot. Just he has, hit, he's had a long career. I could just keep hitting this previous season button and letting you know, <laughs> but it's uh, we're behind microphones, so I won't do that. But I just wanted to pull those numbers up because yeah. while I'm at it, I'll look at Carolina's because mm-hmm. now I'm curious. I'm guessing a lot of them are going to be Sebastian Ajo. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Marty Natchez was also yeah pretty successful for them as well. But... I mean, regardless, those two teams are pretty good. And the Islanders always seem to have a pretty decent power play, if I'm not mistaken, as well. I I don't know how, but it seems like those guys know exactly how they want to play their system. And, I mean, it it fits perfectly with Barry Trotz wanting his team to fit in his system in every single way, shape, and form. So, do you have those up for Carolina? Carolina had 12 players score a power play goal. Hmm. Ajo, Voracek, and Stahl all tied for the lead with seven. So they just, they just Ooh. spread Oh, well. Vinny Trocek? Yes. Okay, you said Voracek, and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> My brain froze. <laughs> V-check. V- yeah. yeah, yeah, V-trocek. Trocek, yeah. Um, but then Sveshnikov and Natchez and Niederreiter, all with four. So they spread the wealth around a little more than mm-hmm. uh, the Penguins did. So those are two teams that we you said had better percentages last year. Yep. Yep. Got to got to figure that out and because we're playing against them and not take penalties against them clearly yeah that's going to be another thing try to stay out of the box but that's always that's always an issue for any nhl team just yeah don't take stupid penalties yeah absolutely but we're going to take a quick break when we come back the return of our shout outs and call out segments did you miss it last week well we'll have it back after the break hockey fights lifestyle and tales from a first round draft bust we have it all and more on the hockey podcast network your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network. And also, welcome back to our shout-outs and call-out segment, which I hope you missed it because last week was the first time in over a calendar year that we did not have a shout-outs and call-outs segment because we had a pre-recorded episode. Didn't want to get anything too out of date when it came to shout-outs and call-outs. But here we are, back again. Horwat, I'll let you lead us off because I'm so gracious as a person that I <laughs> would do that. What is your shout-out for this week? Um, I need to remember the name. So let me start mine off with a quick story. So um, a few weeks ago, I don't even know if this happened before or after our la- the last time we recorded. It's been a while. Uh, but I worked my first show back at Stage E. I'm standing, I'm doing VIP. And I'm noticing this guy just kind of standing there looking at me. Um, and I'm wearing my Point Park University hat, um, <laughs> as I do sometimes. And this guy just keeps glancing over at me, and I'm noticing him, like, whatever, thinking nothing of it, just doing my job. Later, he walks up to me, sticks his hand out, and says, you in the school of business? I'm like, I know everybody else I'm wearing a Point Park hat. I'm like, no, I went uh, for point, to Point Park for journalism. And he goes, oh, hi, well, nice to meet you. I'm Don Green. I'm the new president of Point Park University. <laughs> hello so uh, i'm shouting out don green for in the matter of 20 seconds at a pink floyd cover show mind you um being a more personable president than paul hennigan was and <laughs> no offense to paul hennigan um he was at point park for a long time and uh, people will make their own judgments of him so i will leave the, all those out but just a shout out don green for walking up to someone he didn't know he just saw i was wearing a point park hat and um, introducing himself as the new president, um, I pointed him out to an old roommate of mine, Tyler, who also works at Stage E. He went over and talked to him. I was telling him that Stage E has a ton of Point Park representatives. I mean, my man, one of my managers there went to Point Park a long time ago, did PJ like we did. Um, both, two of the three box office employees went to Point Park. Um, obviously the classroom that's in there from Point Park. So Don Green just getting out into the world just on his day off and said, screw it, I'll swing by Stage AE. Um, and just being uh, being a personable guy, it's good to see Point Park getting someone like that at the helm. Yep. Always nice for the legacy of your alma mater to see a president being personable and actually taking 
interest in people yeah. that show that they went there or currently go there. And I feel like it's a pretty safe bet if somebody's wearing Point Park University clothing that they were probably a student at some point or other or knew somebody that was a student yeah. because no offense to Point Park, love my school and everything, but their logos are not quite desirable if you're not actually connected to the university. No, it's the, the Bison logo tries too hard to be something it's not. It's just too big with too much going on. The Black Diamond logo. Yeah, it's like on one side of the of the buff of the bison. There's like the city, and the other side, it's like there's a lot course. going on. There's just way too much going <laughs> on. It's 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 a cool logo, which is not for certain purposes. But yeah, it's uh, I was just wearing my basic dad hat, just said Point Park University on it, and <laughs> yeah, and I was telling him what I do now that I graduated in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget if I mentioned the show, but I mentioned that I you know write for radio stations and msdg clearly so yeah good stuff for don green and i noticed that um selena pompiani tweeted that she met up with don green at convocation so things are already looking better for the school since we left <laughs> hey personable is always a good start yeah. so good. i think i i think i saw paul hennigan three times on campus in my entire tenure and one time he was just behind me in line getting food so <laughs> again nothing against paul hennigan but it's good to hey, get personal with people. That's personal as well. I mean, eating the food at Point Park sometimes. It depends where you're at. If it's the cafe, okay. If it's the cafeteria, you're brave. It was the cafe. I won't tell you that. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> a little less brave there. But my shout-out this week, and we talked about it a little bit on Monday's episode, goes to the Carolina Hurricanes for their offer sheet of Jesperi Kotkaniemi, one-year, $6.1 million deal with Oh, and I love the pettiness here. A $20 signing bonus. Now, if you don't understand the backstory, a couple years ago in 2019, the Canadiens offer sheeted a restricted free agent from the Hurricanes, Sebastian Ajo, who coincidentally, or maybe not, wears the number 20. So the signing bonus for Kakaniemi was a whole $20. And now Kakaniemi himself, he is a 20-year-old center, five goals and 20 points in 56 games played last season. Obviously, Not a huge number and not a very productive season for him, but he did play all 56 games, which is a step in the right direction for him as far as his standing with the Canadiens organization. But if you look in the postseason, he scored nine goals and 12 points in 29 playoff games so far. At the age of 21, that's pretty good. That's some some pretty good results there. Now, as far as his saga with the Montreal Canadiens, he was healthy scratched in some playoff games in a couple of Stanley Cup Finals games as well. He was sent down numerous times in previous seasons to Laval when he felt that he shouldn't have been. So it's definitely been a little bit of a rocky road for Kakaniemi and the Montreal Canadiens, which is why I'm thinking that this move might actually happen. Also that and $6.1 million for Kakaniemi. I know that he's a young center that could be something pretty good one day, but he is not worth $6.1 million a season. So, obviously, the number is going to help as well. Whether or not we're going to see Montreal match that offer. But the other pettiness that I just absolutely loved, and I'll pull up the tweet here, is what the Hurricanes did on social media. The Hurricanes have always been very, very interesting when it came to their social media presence. Hence the reason they are the, quote, bunch of jerks. And this is something that came out from the Carolina Hurricanes account. Tweeting in French, and I'm not going to try to say the French portion because I took Spanish and I still can't even speak Spanish in college. But they tweeted out in French, obviously because Montreal Canadiens, their announcement of the offer sheet. And also what I love about it is the translation from French to English for offer sheet is hostile offer. Nice. (laughs) And that to me is also a cherry on top, but there is so much more that happened as well. I mean, there's this where obviously the Hurricanes announced today that they have made a hostile offer to restricted free agent Jasperi Kokniemi of the Montreal Canadiens. The proposed agreement is for a one-year term and an average annual value of $6.1 million. So before I continue, Horwat, what is your thought on this offer sheet? Um, offer sheets are fun and they need to be utilized more. They need to be utilized in a more serious manner. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, I like it. It's a serious, like a real, hey, we're actually offer sheeting him. But it's at the same, in the same vein, it almost looks as if you guys are being petty. 
and it's very fun. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I'm on board with this entirely. Mm-hmm. I just want to see offer sheets get utilized in a more serious manner from here on in. Like, they're a, a useful tool if someone wants to ever use them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think before last season, all the talks were always, um, why has no one offer sheeted anyone? You know, for multiple off seasons, it, it was, hey, this is a thing we can do to basically just steal good RFAs. Mm-hmm. and no one did it and then last season it happened and then you know it was like hey someone's finally utilizing it cool yeah. this year it was again it's a real move because it got put into the nhl and everything mm-hmm. but at the same time you know there's just a small vein of we're doing this to be petty because it's fun and oh, yeah. it is fun and it's awesome i think the league you know not that it needs to be more fun but you know let the gms have some you know personality i think watching mark bergevin despite some of the bad things that are happening off the ice with his organization and his former organization he was entertaining to watch this offseason really yeah there's there's a lot of moves made by the canadians a team that just went to the stanley cup finals during the postseason too i think that's my my where my thought was going with that mm-hmm. like watching gms like be personable with their teammates and the bright have, like, suit yeah, and having like fan reactions when their team does something like that's cool. You like you like mm-hmm. seeing the, not the gray faces, but like the, the ones behind the scenes, reacting to their team because it is their team too. They are part of this team and organization. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not the ones producing. The, well, you know what I mean. They're like the executive yeah. producers of the product. Yeah. that we're seeing. That's exactly what it is. And I love that you mentioned general managers doing petty things because, I mean, at the heart we can say, oh, this might have been a petty move by Don Waddell, but also he needed a center. He has the cap space. Kakaniemi's only 21. Signed that one-year deal with knowledge of the fact that, yeah, his longer-term deal is not going to be that expensive, and I think both sides are aware of that. But then you see something go up like the quote from GM Don Waddell saying, Jasperi Kakaniemi accepted our offer. He wants to come to Carolina. He sees the core we've built here, and he wants to be part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. When you make an offer like that, we saw a vulnerable position, which in and of itself, it's, okay, this is why he did it. That makes sense. I I understand. I I get it. And then you realize, I feel like I've heard this before. (laughs) And here's Mark Bergevin's quote. From two years ago, when they offer-sheeted Sebastian Ajo. Quote, Sebastian Ajo accepted our offer. He wants to come to Montreal. He sees our youngsters coming up in the organization, and he wants to be part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. Freaking verbatim, Don Waddell. I absolutely love the pettiness here. And we've seen, obviously, people make fun of the Tampa Bay Lightning tweet from when they got swept out of the playoffs by the Columbus Blue Jackets. But this... A general manager going verbatim off of another general manager from two years prior is peak pity, or not pity, but petty, and I absolutely love it. And I, honestly, I know they're a division rival, and I know you have a bunch of jerks t-shirt, but I need yep. something, Carolina Hurricanes, because this man, Don Waddell, has just became one of my favorite NHL general managers in the span of 48 hours. And this is still going on, of course, yep. as we're recording this. We don't know if the Canadians are going to turn around and match that offer. But here's the thing about matching that offer and why we don't see it nearly as much. How often is it worth it that the compensatory picks for that is a first round pick and a third round pick? So if Montreal doesn't match a first rounder and a third rounder go to Montreal from Carolina, how many times is it worth it to give up a first and a third for some guy you're going to sign? Sometimes it's tough, but this time Surprisingly, it all makes sense, which is making me excited because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it is a slow season in the NHL offseason. This and the anticipation of the answer is what is giving me life through this first week of September. And I'm excited because it's just pushing the envelope and pushing us closer to the season with excitement. So I know I'm kind of a nerd and I'm nerding out about this, but it's a lot of fun. So my shout out goes to the Carolina Hurricanes. It is a ton of fun, and it's 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 petty, but you love to see that kind of petty because it's like a legitimate move as well. Mm-hmm. It's I can't think of anything that could compare. 
but um yeah it's just fun it's it's entertaining and i like seeing the gms be entertaining as well and just yeah the don waddell quote is great i just wanted to point out yeah just don't focus on the fact that he doesn't want to pay his guys sometimes yeah i guess that's also fair i mean at the end of the day the assistants got paid and Brendan Moore got his extension yeah and at the end of the day so did uh Nadelkovich just somewhere else yeah but I mean that is also fair because if you look at what happened with several other teams I mean Carter Hart after signing that deal what happened last season Tristan Jari after signing his deal what's happened the last two seasons it, it, it's understandable not wanting no, to is. take that risk on a youngster how often do I bring up the goalies that have just fallen apart after yeah. Yeah, uh, you get it, but ex- but I think just in that in that vein, it was he wanted not that much money. You were, you couldn't have lost that much, but mm-hmm. it's fun. It's interesting stuff, and now we move on to the dark side of everything. And <laughs> do you want me to go first again? Yeah, go for it. So, uh, mine's a little bit uh, music related. I cannot remember his name now, and I don't care to remember his name because he's mostly known the world over as the Nirvana Nevermind Baby. Um. This dude, I'm calling out this dude for 30 years later deciding to open up a lawsuit against the group, against was it all three members of Nirvana, including Kurt, uh, the photographer and the production company behind everything, for the album cover that he was a part of and on because he is a four-month-old baby naked and you can clearly see some genitalia. Um He's suing them for, I'm sure everyone's heard about this, but suing them for child porn and exploitation, which, to be fair, yeah, kind of is. But the thing is, this was 30 years ago. Um, his parents clearly had to be the one that signed off on this waiver to let this all happen. And he's been, for the past 30 years, going on interviews, redoing the photo multiple times over, and just being the dude who has said Walt many times over, yeah, I'm the kid on that cover. That's awesome. Now, all of a sudden, because Nirvana didn't want to be part of an art exhibit he was doing, he's suing them for (laughs) damages 30 years later. Um, It's just a, what are are you doing here? Twitter has been dunking on this this dude ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how to to exactly feel about it, because it kind of is (laughs) child porn and kind of gross. Because uh, I can remember the first time I ever saw the album cover, I was like, why is that a thing? Um, but, again, he went on to be the kid that did multiple interviews and over the years recreated the photo um, so many times over and being proud of being on that cover. It is one of the most influential albums of all time. So, yeah, I think he doesn't have too much of a case when 30 years later, however many interviews and photo retakes, he doesn't have a case here. It's, dumb on his part Mm -hmm. and it's the 30th anniversary of the album suit i guess so because he'd be 30 yeah yeah Uh, i'm sure the timing is no coincidence there and and i didn't know the fact about nirvana not wanting to be part of one of his art exhibits is that i I saw one quick snippet of that i Mm -hmm. think but i think that happened like four years ago though i think that quote came out like hey they didn't want to be part of my art exhibit but i'm on their cover this that the other that happened like four years ago apparently okay i was about to say if that is the reason because i didn't see that if that is the reason that is petty the bad (laughs) that is also petty and we talked about (laughs) pettiness and and fun pettiness with the carolina hurricanes this is just stupid pettiness like this is this is the dark side of pettiness here and i just i know kurt is rolling in his grave over this too just yeah and i understand that that's you might be a little embarrassed about that once yeah. you get older, but he leaned into it. <laughs> he did. You leaned into it. You can't just say, "Oh, you you know what? I want to use this now just to get a little bit of a claim, a little bit of followership." But now I'm, I don't like it anymore, and I want to get money from it, and I want to sue the band. Like, pick a side and stick on that side. Like, I, I I get when you're younger, but the fact that he's done the reshoots is not like he did it once. He's done like eight reshoots. Yeah. So it's not like you did it once and you're like, oh, I'm just embracing it, I guess. And it's like, I still was never like, okay with it. You did eight reshoots, man. You've done interviews with this dude. Like, come on now. This looks like a cash grab. You do have a case because it is child pornography. uh, And it's one of the probably most, I guess, utilized child pornography ever. Like everybody has seen it. Everybody knows what it is. It's very gross to say, but it is probably the most seen baby penis in the world. 
I don't know if I want to go much further into this rabbit hole after that quote that you said. It, I mean, it, that is what it is, and he is making a point, but it's the fact that it's 30 years later and you've done all this other stuff already that... Um, yeah. Uh, dude, it's just not cool. <laughs> You're not... It's not being cool. The time to open yeah. a case would have been his family doing it then. Or, or when you turned 18. Or when he turned 18 and became an adult and didn't just continue on with this. Either way... Um, I'm sure this will probably be the last we honestly hear of it because music lawsuits usually just happen out of court anyway. Mm-hmm. But he's asking, for a t- he's asking for a ton of money from the Cobain estate, uh, Chris Kovacevic, Novice, however you say his name, I can't remember now, the bass player, Dave Grohl, the producers, and the photographer, photographer whose name I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So asking for a good chunk of change from a lot of people, and I hope he doesn't get it. No mm-hmm. offense to the guy. So, my shout-out was Carolina Hurricanes, and obviously I shouted out Don Waddell for his, his quote as well. But my call-out is for every other NHL general manager, and partially also Don Waddell, because Dominic Cahoon is still an NHL free agent. What? <laughs> he plays center and wing. He's only 26 years old, and his first season and the start of his second season were pretty successful in the NHL. And now there's news that he could be possibly heading back to the Swiss League, to play for SC Burn. I mean, this guy, when he was with the Penguins, I get that he wasn't lighting the world on fire, but he was a pretty good player. Look back to his rookie season with the Chicago Blackhawks. 13 goals and 37 points in 82 games played. That's a pretty solid start as a rookie. Then, of course, he gets traded to Pittsburgh in the Olimata trade. 10 goals, 27 points, in 50 games played. And if you're a Penguins fan, you remember the fact that Dominic Cahoon at the beginning of his Penguins tenure was not at all comfortable in Pittsburgh. He had trouble adjusting to the city of Pittsburgh. He had a little bit of trouble getting his housing situation figured out. He had a little bit of trouble just fitting into the team at first. But once he did, he started being successful. And hence, he finished with 10 goals, 27 points, 50 games played. And then in one of the, in my opinion, one of the worst moves of the Rutherford era. He was traded to Buffalo in exchange for reacquiring Connor Sherry, which ended up being absolutely nothing, and getting Evan Rodriguez, who, albeit still on the team and still probably set to make a pretty decent impact on the Penguins this next season, is not a guy that I think would have been as successful as Dominic Cahoon. Now, Cahoon obviously didn't find success whenever he went over to Buffalo, but last season he signed a one-year deal with the Edmonton Oilers, only nine goals, 15 points, and 48 games played. I get it. Not fantastic numbers. He was not lighting the world on fire. They thought he would be playing with Leon Dreisaitl, but it's Edmonton, so Leon Dreisaitl ended up playing with Connor McDavid anyway. (laughs) So I understand he was not as successful last season, but he played on under a million-dollar contract. The guy would only be probably charging anybody a million dollars. That's probably what he would be negotiating. You're telling me you wouldn't want Dom Cahoon for a million dollars? Look at the deals the Penguins signed this offseason. You could easily have fit Dom Cahoon for a million dollars in there. Instead of bringing back, say, I don't know, Dom Simone on a $750,000 contract, instead of having Sam Lafferty on a $750,000 contract, Dom Cahoon is a much better option than those guys. And the fact that he hasn't even gotten a contract on any of the 32 NHL teams, to me, I mean, I might be looking at his career with rose-colored glasses, but it's going to be a short career, only three seasons, or, yeah, no, only three seasons. And I think he's better than the way that he's been treated in free agency. Because if you remember correctly, it took him a while to be signed by Edmonton last season too. So I don't know if he's a locker room cancer. I don't know if coaches don't like him for some reason. But if you look at the player, do you look at the way that he produced in his first two years, or at least when he was with Chicago and Pittsburgh, as opposed to when he was with Buffalo and Edmonton, the guy was pretty productive. So I'm just very confused about that whole situation entirely. Yeah, it's... That's very confusing. I'm try- I was trying to look for any sort of information on him from Cap Friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cap Friendly has him listed as a left wing, a right wing, and a center. Mm-hmm. He literally just slapped forward on him, and you're good. And he can go um, up and down the lineup, too, and that's the thing. Yeah, just currently listed as inactive at the NHL level. So, uh, man, you... Yeah, that's a contract I would absolutely want to bring on. A player I would absolutely want. He had 27 points with us? Yeah, 27 points. and He had over a half a point a game. Holy hell. That's 
lot, way more, way more points than I thought he had. Mm-hmm. Just because he was such a quiet player too. Oh, that's a ton of fun. You love seeing that. Um, yeah. Someone get this man a contract. Do we have I mean, the room. Do we have the space? <laughs> uh, we do not currently, but I mean, we Damn. could also send down Sam Lafferty and all of a sudden have close to the space. Yeah, yeah, good. We can also just figure out a trade for Matheson and have a ton of space. There hey, we go. There's another one as well. <laughs> I mean, luckily we might see Dom Cahoon if Germany, which I believe Germany, qualified for the Olympics. I know Latvia did. Latvia did. Shout, shout out, out Teddy Bluger. Shout out Captain Teddy, yeah. But I mean if if Germany is there, I would I would suppose that Dominic Cahoon, who played on the Germany World Juniors team before he came over, I would assume that he ends up being on that Olympic team. So we'll get to see him there. Yeah. Not field hockey. Oh, I'm on the wrong Olympics. That's why. 2022, right? <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. Who do we have qualified so far? I mean, the qualif- the qualifiers are all over. Oh, where that was was Latvia the last one in? Uh, Latvia, Slovakia. I'm trying to think of who else. I think Japan actually qualified. They're hosts, so they have to get it. Are they hosts? Yeah, it's Beijing. That's China. Did I say Japan? Oh, no, China is the last team in. Yeah, they're hosts, so I think they kind of not get in automatically, but I think they get in. I forget how that works. Anyway. Oh, did I just find them? Yes. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah, Latvia's in, Slovakia, Denmark. Switzerland, Denmark China also Republic. made it. The Russian Olympic Committee, whatever. I forget what they are exactly, but the ROC. Mm-hmm. Canada, United States, Germany, China, and Group A. Good Lord. Well, I wonder who's one in that group. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for the for the Olympics, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of discussions about Olympic rosters, especially with the NHL looking like they're going to participate now. I mean, now that the IOC has agreed to cover the insurance for NHL players, then it seems like NHL players will be there, plus also a lot of NHL head coaches being named to Olympic head coaching rosters and yeah. assistant coaching rosters, so... Good old Mike Sullivan. And yeah, actually, now that you say that, uh, Dan Kangursky literally put up an hour ago that uh, Rust and Latang are both on the bubble to be on the Olympic teams for Canada and America. Be nice to see Brian Rust on the United States. Rust would, Rust. Rust would be cool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't opened the full story, but he mentions those two in the tweet and then uh, goes on to say which Penguins won't make it, which ones won't. Mm-hmm. And I think I have an old. You do, because John Marino. John Marino's on it, and Hornquist is on it, and he's not even on the team anymore, so... Yeah, but he might he might make Sweden still. Still might make still. Sweden, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, maybe I'll have to rewrite that story again. Yeah. Hey, topic ideas, topic ideas. You gotta love them. Now, before we go, I did want to mention one thing. Two weeks ago, for our shout-outs and call-outs, my call-out was Warner Brothers for Suicide Squad, because I, I was disappointed, and it was not a good movie. But since then... Pretty much every movie I've watched, and it hasn't been that many because it's only been two weeks, but every movie I've watched has been pretty good to really good. So definitely, I just want to throw this out there. If you haven't seen Sweet Girl, which is Jason Momoa's Netflix movie that was filmed in Pittsburgh, when it comes to movies filmed in Pittsburgh, this one fully engulfed itself in Pittsburgh. The only thing that was off is the fact that when he goes across the Clemente Bridge, there is a quote of his that says, oh, the, the game's letting out, but there's cars on the bridge. Ah, uh, you did that wrong. You did that wrong, Netflix. But, you know, that's just me being petty. Buzzword so, for the episode. But, no, that, that movie was good. And then the other one, sorry I, to cut you off, but I just want to get this one out really quickly. The Vault. If you haven't seen The Vault, is a very good heist film. You, I always love heist films. Uh, starring Freddie Highmore. So if you don't know who that is, he's the guy that plays Norman Bates Norman in Bates, Bates. Motel. <laughs> and this is the first time I've actually seen him allowed to have a British accent in oh, yeah. a movie that he's in. So his normal accent, he was really good. And if you watch Game of Thrones, uh, the guy that plays Sir Davos is also in this movie called The Vault, also on Netflix. So if you need movie recommendations, The Vault and Sweet Girl, definitely go. They're worth your time. Freddie Highmore, man. He's not only Norman Bates, but he is the good doctor. He is the good doctor. Um, Always a genius, too, because he plays a genius in this in this show. Good. Um Freddie Highmore is a great actor. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is when you mentioned the cars on the bridge, for some reason, for part of this pirate season, though, the street was open to the car, to vehicles. I think maybe, maybe because it just wasn't full attendance. All, it it all also, year. the Clemente Bridge just did just get shut down. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They 
they also brought back like the block parties outside and in front of the uh, in front of PNC. So now the roads closed during during Pirate Games, but mm-hmm. at like the beginning of the season it wasn't. Um, and I was confused as to why because that's part of going to a Pirate Game is walking the street of the Clemente Bridge and yeah. not the sidewalk. There's not too many positives about going to a Pirates game right now, and that is one of them. The view, walking across Clemente Bridge. Now, I'm, in all seriousness, I have enjoyed watching Pirates. I'm, I'm sad I haven't been able to go to a game. Well, now it's now now we get to watch Yoshi. We get to watch Yoshi Cole Tucker back in the, Yeah, Cole Tucker's back in the bigs. Gregory Polanco is gone. Perhaps we should mention um, the the few years Polanco had here. Yeah, I mean, shout out to him. He gave it his all. I mean, absolutely. He, his shorter surgery really messed him up. But I remember when he made his debut. I think I watched that game and was. Everyone was all excited. I was like, okay, see how he does. And I was very petty back in that back in those days and uh he didn't seem great then. Mm-hmm. But he turned out to be pretty good for a little bit. Shoulder surgery. Yeah. Now here we are. So, yeah, people forget he used to have a freaking cannon of an arm. And then he had that shoulder surgery which kinda ruined it. Now he just throws kind of lollipops into the, the cut man. But I mean, rest in peace to that be- outfield of Andrew McCutcheon, <sighs> Starling Marte, and Gregory Polanco. Man, what a team that was! Um, <laughs> yeah, it's now he should go. He should go be a DH somewhere. Yeah, the guy can still hit, and yeah. his fielding is leaves a little bit to be desired. Go over to the AL. Yeah, the Yankees can always afford another player. <laughs> <laughs> Man, does baseball need some sort of cap situation? All right, we're rambling, but yep. <laughs> is there anything else we should say? No, I think that that'll actually do it unless you have something i i think we've kind of covered all the bases and more to finish with a baseball reference but that is going to be it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg thank you guys for tuning in thank you guys for indulging or letting us indulge in our random movie takes and baseball takes at the end of this episode but we will be back on monday with another episode we're another week closer we're in september getting close to the start of training camp pittsburgh penguins are going to start funneling back in to the city of pittsburgh and we're going to get to see them on the ice soon enough So hang on, Pens fans. We're getting close to the end of the summer. See you guys. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.